Welcome to Brain Health Matters, a series of courses, programs, and shows just like this, all designed to help you become healthier so your brain can become happier and stronger. This week, a cornucopia of research and news that you can use to improve your brain and overall health. That includes the effects that anesthesia can have on your brain and the mental health ramifications of taking antibiotics. Stay tuned. Brain Health Matters is brought to you by Don't Let the Memories Fade. Learn many enjoyable ways to enhance body, mind, and spirit with simple lifestyle changes that will help you improve your memory and your mind. You can create a healthier, more vibrant future with Don't Let the Memories Fade. Available in ebook and paperback on Amazon everywhere. Hello there, and welcome to Brain Health Matters. I'm your host, Kate Kunkel, and this is the second in my summer solo series for 2022. You know, every day we see news and articles about dementia or the microbiome and or autoimmune disease. And it's not really much of a surprise because those three things are at the root of so much pain and suffering. Loss of memory and cognitive function, depression and anxiety, chronic pain, uh, gastrointestinal problems. Every time I talk with a new client, those are among the problems they're having. Now, much of it has to do with lifestyle, which means there is something that we can do to take control. That's despite the assertions from allopathic medicine that there's nothing to be done except managing those symptoms with drugs. Well, if you're here with me, you know that I don't believe that. And we are going to look at some things that crop up often that we have some control over. We learn more about the root cause of things every day. So we're going to do what we can to show this to you so you can help alleviate them if you're suffering from them. So first, let's talk about sleep because we know that many people have problems getting adequate sleep. And we've talked a lot about it on this podcast. It's one of the most important things we can do to boost our brains and be healthier overall. Now, conventional wisdom has us believe that the seven or eight hours we hopefully (laughs) spend sleeping each night must be uninterrupted if they're going to give us the best possible outcomes. But there's great new research from Copenhagen that shows that the neurotransmitter noradrenaline, also known as norepinephrine, causes the brain to get this, wake up more than 100 times a night. Now, This might sound worrying to you, and it certainly did to me at first, but apparently it's perfectly normal and may even indicate that you've slept well. So noradrenaline is a stress hormone, and it's a transmitter substance which is associated with our body's fight or flight response. It's related to adrenaline, and the levels may increase during stress, but they also help you stay focused. It seems that noradrenaline causes you to wake up more than 100 times a night, but it's for such a brief moment, you don't even notice it. But neurologically, you do wake up because your brain activity, they know this because the brain activity is the same as when you're awake. So the the leader of the study from Copenhagen believes that this brain activity is the essence for the part of sleep that makes us wake up rested and enables us to remember what we learned the day before. The refreshing part of sleep is driven by waves of noradrenaline, which are also important for memory. 
That's why it helps you integrate what you've learned from the day before and put it into memory. The researchers likened the short awakenings as a way to kind of reset the brain so that it's ready to store those memories when you dive back into sleep because it's during sleep that they're stored. So when we sleep, this level of noradrenaline in the body is constantly increasing and decreasing. It's like a wave. So the higher number of deep noradrenaline valleys is associated with the best memory. So it seems that this up and down dynamic is what strengthens the sleep process, which affect our memory. So besides increasing our knowledge of the engine room of sleep, this study provides some food for thought though when it comes to antidepressants because some forms of antidepressants increase the level of noradrenaline in the body. That increases the risk that you'll see fewer deep sleep valleys, which could then affect your memory. And we know that oftentimes those suffering from depression or who are on antidepressants have memory issues. So the study authors suggested it would be important for doctors and researchers to keep this in mind when they're prescribing and developing antidepressants. So what does this mean for you? If you are on antidepressants and you're suffering from memory issues, it would be a good idea to talk to your doctor about what they could be doing to your sleep patterns. Since poor sleep itself can contribute to feelings of depression, the very thing that's supposed to be helping could actually be causing more issues. So that's our first little news and research story. Next up, you're probably aware that antibiotics can seriously mess with your gut health. In fact, it's so well known that many people take probiotic supplements after a course of antibiotics to help replenish the gut microbiota. But some recent research showed that it's more than just the microbiome that's affected. It turns out that just one course of antibiotics can actually increase the risk of depression and anxiety. So there was a study conducted in the Netherlands with young, otherwise healthy college students who'd been treated for relatively minor ailments. They'd all recovered from their infection when they were recruited for the study. And it turns out that the students who'd taken antibiotics in the last three months paid much closer attention to negative facial expressions, especially sad ones. Why does that matter? Because according to the researchers, it's a well-established fact in psychology that people who pay more attention to negative emotions have a higher risk of developing mental illnesses such as depression and anxiety. The question then is, is it the antibiotics that cause this or is it because the infection caused inflammation which can affect the brain and lead to the depressed or anxious feelings? This was answered in part by other studies that have shown that people who have an infection treated with antifungal or antiviral drugs don't have this increased risk of depression. So that pretty well leaves antibiotics as the suspect in the cause for the negative mood. And also there have been animal studies that have shown that antibiotics can cause symptoms of depression. What does that mean for us? It means we should be careful of when and how often we take antibiotics we know that doctors seem to be far too generous with prescriptions for them. Also, the meat and chicken consumed in North America is generally laced with antibiotics thanks to these factory farming practices. Eating a whole foods, plant-based diet is one way to avoid at least that source of these dangerous drugs. 
Now, this relationship between gut and mental health has spawned another new field of study, and this is fascinating. Psychomicrobiotics analyzes the microbiome and neuropsychiatric disorders like schizophrenia, autism, and depression. So these disorders are unfortunately becoming more common, and the lack of serotonin could be one of the reasons. We know that serotonin is one of the transmitters involved in controlling mood, and it's produced by the bacteria inside the gut. If they're out of balance, thanks to chronic stress or a rotten diet, then it creates a state of dysbiosis. That means the serotonin isn't produced, and this causes a collapse of the, it's called the endocannabinoid levels in the blood and brain. So according to some recent studies, it's the lack of those molecules in the hippocampus, which is, we, we call it the little seahorses, the, the, it's Latin for seahorse because that's what they look like. They're small brain structures involved in the formation of memories and emotions. And if they're not 100%, it can cause depressive behaviors. The good news is those disorders disappear when the diet's supplemented with a family of gut bacteria called lactobacilli. I'm sure you've seen those in the probiotic section. Obesity, cardiovascular diseases, allergies, cancers, and neurodegenerative diseases are all also related to gut dysbiosis. So researchers feel that by restoring good functioning of the microbiota, these conditions could also be alleviated. Now, if you're a longtime listener to Brain Health Matters, or if you've read Don't Let the Memories Fade, or The Vegan Brain, or pretty well any of my blogs, you already know about this relationship. The challenge is to remember it when you're feeling out of sorts and take steps to correct any imbalance before it gets out of hand. Since depression, anxiety, and many other mental health issues are connected to the likelihood of developing dementia, this is something that really should be taken pretty seriously. Now, in happier news, it turns out that optimists, especially those who have a more positive attitude toward aging, are less likely to get dementia than those who worry about getting old. In a study done by the Yale School of Public Health, participants were surveyed on their beliefs around aging. For instance, they were asked whether they were as happy now as they were when they were younger, or whether they believed that things got better or worse with age, and if they felt less useful with age. The researchers assessed each participant's cognitive status every two years by a standard test, and it was done over the phone. And study participants also provided saliva samples to see whether they had the APOE4 gene, which we know is linked with an increased risk of Alzheimer's. And the great news is that even among those who carried the APOE4 gene, those with positive age beliefs were nearly 50% less likely to develop the disease than their negative peers. Positive goes a long way. And in the entire group, those with a positive attitude toward aging experienced a 19% reduced risk of dementia. So I can tell you as a brain coach that I've seen how having a positive attitude can turn around even a serious diagnosis. So I truly believe it would be a good thing if people would stop going on about anti-aging and embrace it. What's this fascination with anti-aging? No, we don't want to get old and decrepit, but embrace the changes that we experience as we age. It's better than the alternative, right? 
we don't want to just let ourselves go and just accept aches and pains, but it seems more helpful to embrace the power of our knowledge and experience because that's what we get as we age and use it and use it to embrace the changes that we that we will experience them no matter what. So here again, a healthy lifestyle filled with new experiences, nutritious food and continual learning can make all the difference in the world. So there you have it. Keep your negative self-talk in check and never say anything to yourself that you wouldn't say to anyone else. And surround yourself with positive, supportive people who will reinforce your healthy lifestyle habits. Now, when we come back, what are your chances of developing dementia if you have a chronic disease? You have 86 billion reasons to go vegan, and they're all resting right between your ears. That's right, 86 billion neurons that make up the master controller we call our brains. And while they're in control, our lifestyle choices determine how well they work, and that means we must nurture and protect them. The best way to do that? With a whole foods vegan diet that nurtures not just the physical, but also the emotional, mental, and spiritual brain. In the vegan brain, you'll learn how whole plant foods can nurture the healthiest version of yourself, and perhaps more importantly, how your choices can reduce suffering for countless animals and help create a more compassionate, sustainable world. The Vegan Brain Second Edition also includes nutritious recipes and meal plans so that your journey towards a kinder, healthier future will be easy and delicious. Pre-order your copy now for delivery July 7th. Available in ebook format on Amazon. Welcome back. This next research is very important because so many people have chronic diseases and we know these are serious risk factors for dementia. So in the past, researchers have known that multimorbidity, which means having two or more chronic diseases at the same time, is pretty common in older people, especially those with dementia. But not too many studies have investigated whether there's a link between midlife multimorbidity and dementia. But in a recently published French study, researchers tracked more than 10,000 British civil servants for an average of 32 years. That's a long time to keep track of people. They found that if people had multimorbidity at the age of 55, they were almost two and a half times at greater risk of dementia compared with people who did not have any of these chronic conditions. They also found that the later a person developed multimorbidity, the weaker the likelihood of developing dementia. Also, the risk associated with multimorbidity at a younger age increased even more when there were three or more chronic conditions. And we know that many, many people have many chronic conditions. If you've been following this show or the work of many brain health professionals like Dr. Bredesen or Dr. Perlmutter, you've seen how things like diabetes, hypertension, autoimmune diseases are all risk factors for developing dementia, and those things often go together. Since most of the multimorbidities identified as risks in this study are inflammatory diseases, and chronic inflammation is an important contributor to brain degeneration, this whole relationship isn't too surprising. What is disturbing is that so many allopathic practitioners don't address these issues when their patients come to them. If they have diabetes or hypertension or they're obese, knowing that dementia takes decades, 20 or 30 years to develop, that means that patients who've begun developing these issues at midlife 
have a long time to incubate the inflammation that can lead to dementia. So what does that mean to us? Those of us who are determined to prevent this, the key is to prevent and control common diseases such as diabetes, arthritis, inflammatory, inflammatory bowel disease, and heart disease. It's not just to reduce the suffering from the disease itself, but also to prevent the cumulative effect of multiple diseases on the brain. Because if you don't have a healthy brain, all of those diseases are gonna get worse because you can't make good choices. Now, on the subject of obesity, there's also been some new research that makes an even stronger connection between excess weight and poor brain health. In the latest bulletin from the Journal of the American Medical Association, a warning was loud and clear. Obesity is now the top modifiable dementia risk factor in the US. It's leading to more cases than any of the su usual suspects, including depression, smoking, diabetes, high blood pressure, all of those things pale in comparison to obesity. And about a third of dementia cases in America are now associated with some combination of these factors. According to the study quoted in this bulletin, midlife obesity was a contributing factor to about 18% of cases of dementia in America. We know that dementia is vicious and cruel. It's devastating to the family members. I speak from experience here, but it also imposes a severe burden on everyone around the victim. Employers, caregivers, the cost to the economy of dementia in the United States alone is nearing $300 billion a year. Think about that for a moment. And this is in large part preventable with simple lifestyle changes. So you'd think the medical establishment would be tackling it, urging crackdowns on a food industry that seems to be pushing edible crack and that kids would be taught about better nutrition in schools instead of some of the other more questionable topics. And maybe it would be better if instead of subsidizing processed food, there'd be a concerted effort to help families eat whole foods and a nutritious diet. That doesn't seem to be the way it is. We cannot depend on governments or a sick care industry to make the changes. It's up to us to look after ourselves and our loved ones and do what we can to share the importance of good nutrition and exercise. Now, I'm sorry, but I just had to get on my soapbox a bit there. I'm just so disappointed with a system that seems to almost encourage illness and obesity. It doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway, there's one more important piece of news that I wanted to share with you in this solo, uh, Brain Health Matters, and it's by Dr. Amen. Well, Dr. Amen shared this study. Did you know that when you go under the knife and you're anesthetized, you're putting your brain function at risk? Now, research indicates that 25% of patients over 75 undergoing major surgery will experience significant cognitive decline following the surgery. Half of them, half of them will suffer lasting brain damage. There's even a name for this. It's called post-operative cognitive dysfunction or POCD. I covered a bit of this previous research on this in Don't Let the Memories Fade, but there's new research that's come out and gives us a much clearer understanding of post-surgical cognitive decline. A patient is diagnosed with POCD when deficits are observed in some areas of cognition like attention, focus and concentration, 
memory, executive function, psychomotor speed, how fast they can do things. And it usually develops over a period of about a week or a month and lasts sometimes for an extended period and sometimes permanently. So as you can imagine, the consequences can be pretty big. Patients with POCD are at a risk of losing their jobs, their independence, and their basic quality of life. And it's not just seniors who are at risk. It can affect young children as well. A, um, a study published in pediatrics found that children who underwent general anesthesia under the age of four years later showed lower IQ scores diminished language comprehension, and lower gray matter volume in their brains. Cardiac surgery patients are also at risk. Even if they're only in their 40s or 50s, they can have cognitive decline lasting up to six months post-surgery, and that occurs in 20 to 30% of patients undergoing cardiac surgery. So this is a big deal, people, and people with pre-existing cognitive health issues are even at greater risk. We're not sure 100% why it happens, but right now experts believe that it's the result of the stress and inflammation, again, we get to inflammation, triggered by surgery and anesthesia on sensitive high-risk brains. It, major surgeries are inflammatory by their very nature, right? And since the brain itself contains the largest density of inflammatory receptors in the body, it makes sense that it would be especially vulnerable. So sometimes we just have to have surgery. So what do we do to avoid this possibility? First, discuss it with your medical doctor. Talk about your, your condition at the time. You know, maybe you can have a shorter duration of exposure to anesthesia because that can help diminish the risk. And if you're on certain medications, is there a possibility of reducing those before you have this surgery? Of course, one of the best things you can do in this, in all cases, is to develop brain-healthy habits before and after surgery. Eat brain-healthy foods, exercise, avoid inflammatory foods and alcohol. We have so much power in our hands and in our forks and on our feet in the form of walking shoes. We only have one brain. We have to make the best of it because life is really hard if it's not working correctly. Take action because it's never too early to look after your brain, but it can become too late. I'm Kate Kunkel, and I'll see you back here next week. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Brain Health Matters. Be sure to subscribe with your favorite podcast service so that you can get all the latest episodes when they're released. Brain Health Matters is brought to you by The Musical Brain, book three in the Healthy Brain series. Enjoy the fun and easy practices in this book to improve your memory, sharpen focus, and master your mind with the healing power of music. Available on Amazon everywhere.